wow. Inspiring every time. Thank you, Beethoven, for Elise. Hello, welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have an interesting show. In fact, the door is open to anyone who might want to call in. You're most welcome to. I'll be speaking today about dancing in the end times, in and out breaths. And I'll explain what that all means in a moment. But first, I want to just make a couple of announcements for those of you who are New York-centered because there's a very interesting event taking place, uh, sort of started today, but primarily tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday at the Jacob Javits Center, and it is the Cannabis World Congress and Business Exposition. Yes, cannabis is here to stay. Well, it's been here all along, and if it weren't for some major corporate interests back in the 1930s and 40s that influenced in the United States uh, Congress to act against an herb, we wouldn't be having this current uh, um, explosion because it would have been with us all along. Think of the literally millions, probably billions of trees that could have been saved because we would be using hemp instead of wood and trees for paper. Think of all of the cotton that would not have had to be grown because we would have hemp for textiles. Think of all of the lives that would be saved from the use of hemp oil, hemp seed, cannabis, and CBD oil, which is simply veritably exploding right now in the United States and Canada. Canada is some way ahead of us. Their uh, laws will be changed as of July, I believe it is. So just in a matter of a couple of months, it will be federal law to allow the legalization of cannabis in all forms, I believe it is, in all forms, meaning the CBD oil, which is known for its therapeutic and medicinal properties, as well as the recreational, that is the presence of THC in the marijuana, um, frequently referred to as marijuana, or as pot, which is the name we've been using for so many decades. In any event, uh, yes, in the 1930s and 40s, I believe it was, there were some major legislative changes because hemp was probably the singularly most valued and prominent crop in the United States, in these here United States of America. However, there were special interests of several types that wanted that stopped, that wanted to change the game. I mean, after all, hemp was used in World War I for clothing, for rope making, uh, the uniforms, etc., and the rope for the naval ships, etc. And uh, 
In fact, I even have a USDA propaganda film about hemp saying, yay, go hemp. This is the way to go. Our farmers are prospering across the nation. They are providing the military. You know, of course, they love militarizing these things. Providing the military with all sorts of important products and like that. Well, things changed, as we know. And millions of people have been arrested for uh, simply having on their person um, even small quantities of pot, like a joint or two, and they've spent years in prison at expenses anywhere from forty to $75,000 a year per prisoner, and we have a completely disproportionate number of people in prison in the United States per capita. It's, I believe, the very highest, by far the highest in the world, way more than Russia, way more than China, way more than any, certainly, so-called civilized country. And there are some. I'm not sure where that's civilized right here in the old U.S. of A. That's a different discussion. And if anybody wants to discuss that with me, please call, please. I appreciate it. 602-753-1860. And we'll debate. And, of course, it's a long and a bit subjective of a debate. But certainly bringing different perspectives to bear on the subject is always worthwhile. You know, there's a basic idea that everyone is doing the best they can. I guess even when people are being lazy, that's what we consider to be doing the best they can because they wouldn't be lazy at that moment if they had a choice. Well, That's an interesting perspective. I'm not sure it's an accurate perspective, but it is a perspective. Everyone is doing the best they can at any given moment. And you could say that because it happened that way, that was the best they could do. But I think that's just a pious gloss, quite honestly. I don't think that's really the case. I think most people, including me, don't often have the consciousness and the wherewithal to summon at any given moment to do the very, very best we can. So decisions are made, comments are stated that are far from our most stellar nature. Look at this ridiculous thing that happened with this woman, Roseanne Barr, who made these outrageous statements and you know on Twitter no less so it's not just spoken at a moment of unconsciousness but literally typed out so it took some deliberateness behind it and she's lost her show a lot of people who were um, enjoying that show are now not going to and it's created a tremendous amount of hoopla just for a moment in the United States, but it shows again the levels of racism that are rampant in our ranks here in the United States of America. But before going too far in that direction, I want to bring us back to the Cannabis World Congress. If you are interested, you can go to our website, abetterworld.tv, and 
click on it and all the information about how to get tickets and the speakers and all of that will be available. Interestingly, Montel Williams is the keynote speaker on Friday morning at 10 a.m. So if you are interested, there are many others. Bruce Linton tomorrow, he I don't know. <clears throat> but there is truly a plethora of growth occurring in this space, and it's great to see. In fact, A Better World is affiliated with one called Laughing Frogs, which is part of what is called Whitechapel Holdings. And I had the CEO on as my guest a few months back, Chris Haig, who is doing wonderful things to promote a product line of water-soluble CBD oil sprays and a couple of gel caps, which are very easy to swallow. So when it comes especially to the elderly, there's no problem in getting those down the uh, the track. And uh, we're seeing some really good results. We have a psychiatrist in San Diego who has been using our products for opioid addiction treatment. And that's very, very interesting because <laughs> wouldn't you know it, <clears throat> here, something that has been banned for fear of being uh, the beginning of what would be uh, a drug cycle of pot leading to heroin and on and on and on, now we're finding that a derivative of hemp, CBD oil, which has a very low, very low CV, uh, THC content, which means that it is not usable for euphoria, is now being used to help addicts get away from things that make them euphoric. So there's so much happening these days that is just blowing our heads off, so to speak. So if you want more information about that, certainly contact me, our Laughing Frogs uh, line. It's actually the line itself is called Murumbui. And that is based on the Australian Aborigines. I know we have a number of people listening from Australia, from Aussie land. And yes, uh, the Australian Aboriginal peoples are in on the whole thing with us. And we've got a gum tree farm there with a very special strain of the gum tree plant that has been known for thousands of years by the Aborigines to have powerful healing and medicinal properties. So it's a really interesting thing that will be the only company that has that strain inside and integrated within the CBD oil combined also with an array of vitamins and minerals, giving it a very nice kind of a of a spread of nutrition and therapeutic values. So that's what we have. And we are one of many, but I do believe we will be emerging as a leader in the nation as the next year or two goes on. And we're getting a lot of attention to both the, as well as to the company itself. So we are looking for some appropriate investors in what we have going. So again, if you are interested, just get in touch with me at 212-420-0800 or 
or by email at mjr at abetterworld.net. And if you want to just learn more about the entire space, this Cannabis World Congress is really an excellent place to go. <clears throat> there will be other uh, congresses in a few other uh, states and cities over the next few months. We're now just dealing with the New York one, but uh, it's very, very exciting stuff. So, uh, coming back around, I want to also let you know that we have many exciting things going on here at A Better World that is creating an uptick in the possibilities of what can happen on our beautiful and dear planet. All the while, we have so many countervailing forces that have actually been in play for many decades, uh, and they are have created a an environmental and a health picture across our planet that makes you kind of want to cry because our earth and our ecosystem are so precious. You could call it an experiment that has been going on for many millions, if not a couple of billion years in the very formation of the sphere and in the formation of hydrogen and then carbon and then oxygen <clears throat> and the way these elements combined to ultimately lead to what we refer to as life. And that's what we've all got. And, of course, we have this symbiotic, magnificent relationship with the trees and the plants and the algae and coral reefs and flowers. And when we exhale, they all inhale. And when they exhale, we inhale. That's part of what today's meaning is of the title, in and out breaths. But it's actually a larger spin of the wheel than that, and I'll get to that in a moment. The main thing is that we have what in ancient Greek was called bios, from which we get the word biology. Bios and logos become biology, the study of life. And many of us have been studying life for a long time and have determined that it is the precious, sacred substance, reality that we have. And we're not sure how many other planets in the vastness of our solar system that does have life quite as we do. We believe there are some places that do. God knows. But what we have is deemed to be very special. So then you would ask, why are so many humans hell-bent on destroying life then? Our society at large is actually not constructive and creative as much as it's destructive. So Examples, to generate power, i.e. energy and electricity, we dig down deep 
and we access what we know then as oil and then also gas. But let's stick with oil. It's very painful to and very expensive to dig these holes down deep into the bowels of the earth, then to pump up and extract this oil. And then it has to go to refineries and be refined so it can be used for transportation and any number of other applications. Then it has to get shipped all the way around the world by ship and then by truck and sometimes by train. And it's exceedingly flammable and extremely dangerous. And the whole cycle is ridiculously expensive. Well, all of those costs, of course, get passed on to guess who? That's right, us, nosotros. And that's painful, but over time, it becomes very, very profitable for the oil companies, and they've sought to divide and conquer the entire planet where they have the slightest inkling that there are major oil reserves underneath. And that has led then to a geopolitical situation wherein, with this divided world, political policies get generated. And these policies will call one group bad guys, communists, socialists. They don't want to do business. And so we name them fascists, and then we attack them. We're not really attacking them because of their political beliefs. We're attacking because of their economic value that we believe here in the big U.S. of A. belongs to us. Not we the people, us. No, 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 no. We Exxon. We Chevron. We, Texaco, that's who we is in this case. And in short, these major multinational corporations are dictating the geopolitical arena and agenda, which means they are the ones who are in effect creating foreign policy. What? Well, I think that my listeners really know this already, don't you? I hope you do. And if you didn't, I hope you do now. Yes, this is in large, large measure the very basis of the geopolitical strata. Who is our friend? Who is our enemy? And why are certain people our enemy? when they didn't do anything to us, but we want their oil, so it's way easier to call them our enemy so we can just justify an attack like the preemptive attack, for instance, in 2003 March in Iraq when it was established that, that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11 or with ISIS for that matter or <clears throat> the... Uh, the players at that time and by their names, but nonetheless, they were thrown into the mix. Why? Because they didn't have democracy? 
No. Wrong answer. Eh. Uh Uh-uh. Because they had oil. That's why. And there were some big players who had their eye on that oil. Roll back the clock. Take a look at Iran. Now, going back to 1907, British Petroleum had their eye on the Iranian oil fields, which were vast. And they made a deal with the uh, government of Iran at the time to extract oil and give them a little little royalty, um, but keep most of it for themselves. And in fact, that's what they did. And they hired the Iranians, the Iranian citizens, to basically be slaves in their own country um, relative to their own resource. And that went on for decades. And British Petroleum and possibly another few companies did exceedingly well. Until, that is, 1952, I'm pretty sure it was, when Mossadegh was elected, democratically elected president. And he had a different idea for that oil. He had an idea that he wanted to nationalize it. He wanted to cut off the contracts, or at least seriously modify those contracts, with BP and perhaps others, and keep the wealth from the oil for Iran. Now, if things were reversed, just think, and England was flourishing with oil, and another country came in, or another company from another nation came in and cut that deal, And it went on and on and on for decade after decade after decade. I mean, like 50 years, almost. And then at a certain point, England said, you know, I think we want to keep our own oil. Thank you very much. Well, you wouldn't look to depose the queen. No, certainly not the queen. (laughs) The prime minister, would you? Or you would say, well, look, we had an incredibly good run what can we work out with you now? And I understand you want to keep your own resource for your own countrymen. Well, that's not what happened with Iran. What happened is, I'll give you the very abridged version, BP sought to engage the British government to come to their aid to help, you know, cause a stir in Iran um, politically and militarily so they could get back into the saddle. Uh, When that didn't work, because everybody was still licking their wounds from World War II, and no one had a budget, and everybody was paying dearly the cost of the prior war, and nobody wanted conflict anyway. So they resorted to the United States. And the way they got the United States kind of activated is rumors got spread that Mossadegh had communist leanings and which had nothing to do with reality, but it was stated, and that's all that was needed to get the Dulles brothers, one Secretary of State and the other, uh, the head of the CIA, a bit stirred up and riled, and that was enough to have them finally cook up a plan. Mind you, I'm giving you the abridged version, and in was installed the Shah. He had a bloody record and he was 
violent and in many ways very disliked. And for the United States, they felt like that was the perfect guy, go-to guy, to control Iran and therefore to control the oil. So Mossadegh was deposed and the Shah was installed. And that lasted up through the 70s. So if you ask about how does fossil fuel control geopolitics, I just gave you a couple of examples. We could go and turn our attention to South America, to Central America, and we can come up with similar things. We could even look at Afghanistan and beyond. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. So what is a Better World's proposal? Better World's proposal is that we shift toward photons. We shift toward wind. We shift toward water currents. And these are the kinds of projects that, behind the scenes, I am working on in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, from raising money for these various projects, for refining the technology, for completing prototypes, for creating installations, for reaching out to governments or other uh, big eco-players in different countries, from Europe to the Middle East to Asia, uh, all over Latin America. This is the way we believe we can help to change the world. No, 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 it's not everything. It's just partial. But our consciousness is what needs to be changed most and to understand the true interconnectedness of all things. And when we have that realization, we take care of things in just a different way. We treat the world, the planet, Mother Nature, with respect, with love, with a sacred view. And that is the way to really change everything, because then we start to look at ourselves in that way as well. So, we're, as I said, dancing in the end times. Of course, that's a biblical reference. And so much of what is happening has actually been predicted in the Old and New Testaments, interestingly enough, with and the hurricanes and the cyclones and the, uh, the earthquakes and the every eruption that is taking place is a disruption and people are suffering everywhere. It's unpredictable and the weather these days is precipitous. And the reason it is is because we've mucked with the ecosystem. We have generated way too much carbon dioxide for the plants to be able to digest. It has created an excess. It has led to heating. It then leads to cooling. It leads primarily to disruption. And that is what we're experiencing. Those so-called trapped greenhouse gases heat things up on the lower levels of the atmosphere and wreak havoc. So what we have is ice caps melting at the north and the south poles. We have Greenland melting. We have Iceland de-icing. And 
animals by the millions. Different species are dying. They cannot adapt to the rapidity of the change. Some say, oh, come on, there have been ice ages before and the weather is always changing. The climate changes and there have been polar shifts. Come on, Mitch, what are you talking about? It's all part of a natural cycle. Well, yeah, that's true too. I don't deny that whatsoever. We are and will always be part of natural cycles which shift the climate, which shift the currents and everything along with it, including our ability to survive. Some shifts make it easier and others more difficult. Fine. That's not the issue I'm talking about. That's natural. But what we've done, I'm calling unnatural. We have accelerated the process so dramatically that different life forms simply cannot adapt at that rate. It's taken millions of years to get to where we are now. And then in the course of, what, 200 years, everything has changed? Geology, biology, chemistry? No, can't go that fast. But we're facing. As a result, we have the South Pacific Islands, that are getting submerged underwater, and we have explosions of all sorts. We have the most dangerous of storms. We have uh, Pele in on the Big Island spewing forth lava like nobody's business, contaminating the air and the atmosphere all around. This is what's going on, folks. So when I say the end times... <laughs> Then we have Trump in office, who is a dangerous man, no matter how you put it. Incredibly disrespectful, crass as they come, insulting, knows nothing about being president. He knows only about his narcissism, and he's not even such a good businessman, except by hook and by crook. That's right, by hook and by crook. Now, in the history of his real estate dealings, sure, he did make uh, some good deals. Purely on the face of it, good deals. Someone who knows from the inside told me that the Hyatt, for instance, uh, was his property just east of Grand Central. And for that, he actually made a semi-honest buck, you know. But other than his inheritance and all so many other deals he's made are all shadowy. And we know it. We know that his father and he were involved with the mafia. You cannot be in the casino business without being involved in the mafia. There are... The stories go on and on, folks. And you can research it yourself. This one first biographer from the Village Voice, his name is escaping me right now. Unfortunately, he died about a year ago, just I think after Trump got in office and pushed him over the edge because he knew Trump better than anyone um, from the earliest days, just as he was beginning to do real estate in Manhattan. 
this this fellow was tracking him. He wrote a big book about it, and Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez interviewed him several times for Democracy Now! And, uh, well, you don't have to go deep. You don't have to go far to find out the mafia connections. So we're dealing with real trouble in River City, my friends. Politically, we have these Republicans who are still backing him, even though it's very obvious from his posture relative to the Mueller uh, investigation uh, that why would he be defensive if he doesn't have something to hide? Why would he be asked? Why would he have asked if he could pardon presidential pardons to family members or even pardon himself? Do you remember that conversation about six or seven months ago? It was all over the news for a minute. Yeah. Why would any of this be happening the way it's happening if he did not have something to hide? Because if he were a real president, he would say, my God, it appears that the Russians have infiltrated our last election. And this is scary. And we have many intelligence agencies telling us the same. They corroborate. There's still much more to actually nail down. But I, as president of the United States, who has vowed to defend the United States, and that includes its elections, by the way, Mr. Trump, to do everything needed to get to the bottom of this and find out who did what, when, where, and how. But we don't see that. We had a little uh, lip service paid a year ago, and where did that go? Now it's a witch hunt, and it's illegal, and it doesn't have a factual solid basis, and Mueller is the bad guy. Oh, and this is just a ruse by unhappy Democrats who lost. It's just insulting. And I know I have some friends who think the whole thing is a witch hunt as well, who think that this is just a ruse by the Democrats to uh, allow the deep state to continue and perpetuate. I don't think so. I think there's something very real here. And I don't think there is a deep state that is concrete and um, uh, kind of epidemic like it's discussed. What I think is that there are fiefdoms, just like there were in the Middle Ages, and there are fiefdoms in the FBI and the CIA and in different areas of government, the Justice Department, etc., that are doing their own thing, that are tooting their own horn, that are lobbying for their own point of view or for their own money and budgeting. And so they also have political agendas. So to that extent, you want to call it a deep state. It's, there are aspects of that, but it's not a unified field. That's the point I was looking to make. It's not a unified field. Like, oh, I'm going to now point to the deep state. No. Just like in any corporation, you've got people with relative degrees of power. You may have a president, you may have a CEO, you may have a chairman of the board, and they have their designated authorities. However, 
there could be people in middle management that actually are wielding a tremendous amount of power. And in their own division, in their own department, they are doing well, and they are controlling some of what's going on on the higher levels uh, in the C-suites. You with me? So what I'm saying is that it's a (laughs) free-for-all. That's what I'm saying. And it's nothing as unified and univocal as you might otherwise be led to think. That's my opinion. And everybody is entitled to their own, but that's mine. And I think there is definitely a rat and several of them, and several have already pleaded guilty. Just ask yourself this. If there was no collusion... If there was no messy stuff between Donald Trump and the Trump campaign and Deutsche Bank and finances and Russia and Putin, what's he so scared about? What's he running from? Why wouldn't he show his tax returns? Huh? Why? It would be no problem, everybody. Here it is. There's nothing to hide because I'm squeaky clean like I've told you all along. Squeaky clean. I fired Comey because I didn't like him. I'm pissed off at Sessions because everybody is. (laughs) He looks like an elf and I don't want elves running my Justice Department. No, no, no. Even just two days ago or so, he wanted... Sessions to unrecuse himself. He thinks that the Justice Department is there to protect him. Didn't anybody explain to him how the three branches of government work? Nobody took the time, apparently. He doesn't know how to listen. He doesn't know how to write very well. And he doesn't know how to read very well. How do you have a president who can't actually learn the mechanisms of government and what the appropriate constitutional relationships are between the branches of government, where you have authority and where you do not. It's like nobody ever taught him what we all learned in third and fourth grades. He didn't get it. Because it's my opinion, based on his being raised a rich kid, abiding ties to the mafia, um, he learned that the rules don't matter, as it's very obvious he has no respect for the rule of law. How can you have a president of a democratic country, a republic, who does not respect the rule of law? It's a total antithesis of what it is that is appropriate. But, that aside for the moment, when you are raised feeling special and you are given privilege at every turn because you have money and your family has social stature and you also have friends in key places, you know, you don't think you have to abide by many rules. Why? You place a phone call and you get what you want. 
Sure, you got to pay for it a little bit. No problem. There's plenty of loot to pay. So, that's my quick diagnosis. And it's sad. The man is a bully. And he's a narcissist. And as a result, our country is devolving. And you can't only say bad things about anybody, by the way. Because amidst the madness and his own pathological state, from my point of view, he has a heart and he has a level of gentleness. And if he were allowed, if he allowed that to flourish, he could be a different man. Uh, And it comes out in kind of interesting moments and places, like when the Parkland, Florida kids came up to meet with him in the Oval Office. Uh, You know, I feel his true self came out. One of his true selves, I should say. Which was, we got to get to the bottom of this. we got to get rid of those bump stocks. we got to get rid of guns. This is crazy. We can't have kids dying in our schools. And he's darn right. And then step in the politicians. Then steps in the NRA. Well, we want to think about this again. But it shows that he does have good impulses, humanitarian impulses. Even when he sat down with Schumer to talk about DACA, you know, there are certain impulses, even toward, you know, after he abused, which is his modus operandi, abused um, Kim Jong-un, by calling him Little Rocket Man, and this is his, this is his modus operandi. He completely berates and belittles what he sees as the enemy. During the election, uh, it was Hillary. Before the election, when he was going for the nomination, it was his fellow Republicans. He's not even really a Republican. He just joined that boat because it was easiest. Um, and. Uh, he berated them, you know, little Marco and the rest of all of it. It's just, it's just, it's kid stuff. It's immature. It's bullying in the courtyard. And that's what he does. And that's his way of creating success. If you want to call that success, go ahead. But to me, I call it a pitiful failure. Having money in the bank is not a mark of success if the person and the character is so low-level and so immature. That's not success. Success, I'll say, is when we have matured ourselves, we've become responsible and accountable, we have developed compassion and understanding, and out of that, and you could say creative entrepreneurial skills, all rooted in kindness and humanitarian and ecological values. You do well in the business world. God bless you. Become a millionaire and become a billionaire. It's all good. Um, Just use the life force in the form of energy wisely and prudently to serve people, not just your own family. (laughs) That's crazy when the numbers get that big. It's just crazy. But You understand, that's real success. That's what we call multi-bottom line success. We have a good enterprise, 
and we are socially responsible, we are accountable, we treat the earth properly, where we create zero waste, where we have a life cycle of materials, that everything gets utilized, people are well paid and cared for, there's daycare, etc., etc., right at the job, uh, and things of that sort. And, um, and there's money that's being made. And everybody's paid well and has a stake in it, a stakeholder. Wow, that's success. Yeah, across the board. Holistic success, you could call it. System success. <sighs> oh, well, you get the message. So when we talk about dancing in the end times, well, let me uh, point a finger to an interview I did with Dr. Carolyn Baker about two or three years ago. If you go to a betterworld.tv, you can uh, you can um, find it in the radio archive. Called, I think it was called Conscious Collapsing. And it's about this entire collapse ideology. And you don't have to reach far to see it in action. You just have to look at our political system. You have to look at our economic system. You look at our social system. Whatever system you look at in our society, you see that it's basically crumbling. You look at our infrastructure, our roads, and our tunnels, and our bridges, etc. It's a disaster and it's dangerous. And we look at the ecosystem most fundamentally. And to say that it's collapsing would be kind of a funny thing to say. It's adapting to the perils we have put to it. And we may be collapsing, not it. Ultimately, nature and our ecosystem has the intelligence and the experience to survive. There will be fallout. There will be sacrifices and we're probably going to be one of them. But there is a psychology behind this idea of collapse that don't think it's not collapsing. Don't think you can prop it all up with a stronger toothpick. It's not going to work. There needs to be transformation, not just reformation, but transformation. And that begins with consciousness. That begins with the mind and the heart and the spirit. And if that happens, if that happens, it's been an adventure and an experiment going on for thousands of years. And there hasn't been, I don't know, all that much improvement. Some, yes, some. But with every step forward, it looks like they're one and a half back. So... I have to leave it to you to make that determination. But now for the other part of the title of today's show, In and Out Breaths. Well, the yugas from ancient India are basically describing the in and out breath of creation. There are some in breaths that are, oh my God, like that, you know, and uh, we'll confer oxygen for ourselves and there's another kind of gape that goes with it that I don't believe that we're here again and then there's an exhale an elegant long exhalation 
which becomes another yuga. And there is an interspersing of what you could call enlightened times with dark times. Enlightened and dark. And that is the turn of the wheel over the course of millions of years. So we're at the end of what is called the Kali Yuga, a time of tremendous corruption, hate, racism, bias, prejudice, concern, confusion, anxiety, depression, sadness. Don't you feel it? I'm sure you do. We all do. Not to say we don't also feel elation and vibrancy and aliveness and kindness and love and joy and experience and express all of these in and through our bodies and hearts and minds. There's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of destruction. And that's what this means. Having an attitude of great largesse and patience that we know that we've been here for millions and billions and we're probably going to be here as a life form for millions and billions. And we need to have a light touch on the earth, a light touch in our relationships, a lot of love underpinning, and we should be able to get through this. But, biblically, it is interesting that so much is happening in alignment with these ancient prophetic teachings that we need to pay attention to that as well so we can have a a true transformation or you know let's use a christian word transfiguration and we can get on with life as we would prefer it it's up to us to be visionaries my friends and envision the world we want to see. And even when things are down and difficult, as they are now, for so many people who don't have enough food to eat, let alone roofs over their head and medicine as needed, or education or even literacy, with these challenges, dirty water or no water at all, we still can tread lightly and have a long-term view. And rather than get sucked into the abyss, we can carry through and carry on with the joy of a small child's smile lighting up our day. That's what's possible. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for dancing in the end times with me a bit. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your attention, your thoughtfulness. Uh, Nobody called in to talk with me, but that's okay. I only gave the number out once, and if anyone didn't get it at the beginning, I guess I just ran away with the show. But I want to just say I very much appreciate your attention and that you share this show and my other shows with your friends and family and colleagues. Let them get a taste of a better world and what's possible. Also, I'd like to make another announcement. I will be teaching in um, the Catskills at Shivananda Yoga Ranch, a beautiful place, perched above in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. 
on the weekend of June 7th, I believe that is. Let me take a quick look here. Um, yes, June 8th, actually, 9th and 10th. I'll be doing Qigong and Therapeutic Theater Communications. And you all are welcome, no matter what country you're from. And again, I'll be teaching on uh, July 6th through 8th down in the Bahamas at Shivananda Bahamas, a beautiful place, which is why it's called Paradise Island. And you're all invited there too. So you have to contact them through my website, abetterworld.tv. Now, I know I invite you all to sign up for the newsletter, and I have been told that that function on our website has been temporarily down. So when my webmaster gets that together, it will be back up. For those of you who would want to make a donation to A Better World, best, in fact, to go to www.paypal.com and send money by friends and family to mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr, my initials, at abetterworld.net. Net and friends and family. We are a nonprofit, 501c3. It's a perfectly good use of that feature, and I so thank you in advance. If you want any of our healing and coaching services, uh, contact me at that same email address. We have the Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, the HEB, where all we need from you is your photograph and some demographic information. It's uh, $600 for the whole year, and then it goes down year by year after that, down to about 350 I believe it is. And we send you energetic frequencies that will help to balance you wherever you may be on the planet. It's a really interesting program. You can read about that also on the website. And we also have my work one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three, uh, doing counseling over uh, phone or Skype, and also biofeedback over either or both. So these are some of the services we have. Soon we're going to have a solar oven, a solar barbecue that will be available on a new website we'll have of products for a better world. So you can enjoy what we're doing there too. And last, we have an incredible nutritional um, product line called Purium. And if you contact me again at that email address, um, mjr at abetterworld.net, we will give you a $50 gift card um, that becomes usable if you spend 75 But that does mean you'd be saving two-thirds of your bill uh, and get incredibly powerful organic superfoods into your body. In fact, we should be having David Sandoval, the founder of the company, on in relatively short order. So with that said, I want to thank you all again for being part of A Better World and my world. And I love that everybody from all over the world is listening in, from Australia and India and Mexico and UK and Canada. It's wonderful. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you.